Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Managing Editor Brendan Slaughter and Recruiting Analyst Jared Hollis from BeaversEdge.com. Pleased to bring you another edition of the Edge Podcast. We've got a jam-packed edition today. We'll be joined a little bit later by BeaversEdge.com writer and KBVR broadcaster Mitch Monji to talk about Oregon State men's and women's basketball. But now, Jared and I are going to break down Oregon State's latest commitment on the gridiron. Tyler Morano joins The 2020 class he committed today on Martin Luther King Day, he helps join the Oregon State offensive line and really helps shore up the 2020 class in terms of having an even number of linemen. How big of it was, how big of a commitment is he for the Beavers, Jaron? Yeah, no, it's massive. All all along, everybody's known that that, uh, another offensive lineman was needed. And uh, for them to be able to prioritize that and, uh, you know, really find a a good guy to fill in that spot in such a short amount of time and, and have him committed. For uh, for the February signing period, really really big deal, and uh, just shows that the staff is you know capable of playing the long game like you saw a few times with uh, some guys throughout the the early period, and then uh, you know able to to get some guys in quickly as well with uh, with Morano. So really overall, just a great commitment and uh, checks a lot of boxes for the Beavers as well. Just looking a little bit at Morano and, and what he brings, he's obviously six foot six, 265. He got graded out as rivals as a two-star. But as I look at him, this is a guy who I think could you know, end up outplaying that star status and be more of a, uh, a guy that can kind of grow into his frame, grow into his body a little bit. And you know, when I even caught up with him prior to his visit, he mentioned, you know, I really want to come in, redshirt my first year, really get ready for the rigors of the Pac-12. And He's got nice size already. I think the potential's there for him. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think I think at some point, maybe not early on, but certainly at some point, you'll you'll see him kind of become a, a real contributor on the offensive line, like you mentioned already. He's got really really great size, which is uh, very intriguing for for uh, Coach Am and the whole staff. Really, a lot of things you'll be able to do with him, and I'm sure that that, that uh, putting on some more weight and kind of coaching him up a little bit for that for that first year or maybe even two. When he gets to Oregon State, will be a priority for him. And again, he could really become a, a long-term contributor on that line. Again, uh, welcome back to the Edge podcast. Brendan Slaughter here chatting with Jared Hallis, recruiting analyst at Beaver's Edge. The the thing that kind of stood out to me about Murano right away was in this, very similar to Junior Walling in the sense that he's got some Ivy League offers. So that tells me it's a very smart, intuitive individual. And, and I like those guys that can come in that are just super smart, cerebral, it tells me it's someone that's dedicated to his craft. And shoot, Jared, I would have liked to have an Ivy League offer. Those are hard to get. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. It would have been nice to to have those opportunities. And really, kind of, again, it also speaks to the the opportunity that he sees himself having at Oregon State to be able to to pass up those kind of opportunities to to go to Corvallis. I mean, he's definitely a, a really smart kid, which is important at any position, but offensive line certainly helps to have uh, the brain power as well as the the physical power. And uh, he certainly possesses both of those things. Not that the Beavers necessarily were in a a tight battle per se, but, you know, coming up uh, in the days leading up to uh, his visit, you know, when you caught up with him a couple weeks ago, Jared, he was actually still imploring looking at Cal a little bit and then, you know, was actually expected to perhaps take a visit this next weekend. But when I caught up with him, he was kind of like, eh, we'll see what happens after this Oregon State visit. I'm not sure I'm going to do it. And now, you know, he ends up uh, coming on with the Beavers. Not that they won a recruiting battle in that regard, because I don't think, you know, it was necessarily like super like, you know, fist and fist. But I think it's still impressive they were able to kind of outshine uh, a player that uh, Justin Wilcox and company wanted. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was a pretty pretty noteworthy when he said that to me, and I I was definitely going to keep my eye on that. But uh, I mean, it sounds like when when you and him spoke, I didn't know this, but it sounds like when y'all spoke, he uh, was even already kind of thinking, hey, if I if I get this offer, Oregon State's probably the place that I want to be. So for all that to happen and come to fruition over the weekend, it seems uh seems now that that visit probably will not happen. But uh, just be sure to be tuned in at uh, BeaversEdge.com to to make sure that. You get all the updates and whether or not that will happen or will not happen. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that. And, you know, that was one thing that kind of was one of the first things I wanted to ask him was obviously if he was considering that. And then, you know, he told me how much a, a Power 5 offer, especially Oregon State, would mean to him and how much, you know, he really wanted. You know, the, the thing that stood out to me in terms of what he was looking for, he told me he wanted obviously to fit in the in the program and feel like a fit there. But he really wanted to go to a top-notch college town and a top-notch academic school. So I think when he when he finds, you know, I, I think, you know, not speaking for him or anything, but I think when he went to Corvallis, he was able to see that, you know, it lives up to its reputation of being one of the best college towns in the Pac-12, if not the country. And, you know, he wanted to meet the whole coaching staff. He was able to do that. And I was asking him, and I was like, if the red carpet was rolled out, you know, what would you kind of see? And basically it all came to fruition. And that's a thing where... Coach Mahalchik has been in touch with him for several weeks now, and this was a target of theirs. And you know, the Beavers got to feel pretty good that they were able to balance out that class as now he'll join uh, Cooper Darling, Jacob Ferenzi, and Ty- uh, Talise Fuaga in the class. It really balances out the offensive linemen. The Beavers have 14 or 15 scholarship uh, offensive linemen, whether or not Corbin Sorensen, the Portland State grad transfer, is on scholarship. We're still trying to figure that out ourselves but either way that's a really nice number it's round now i don't expect the beavers to necessarily be targeting any more uh linemen necessarily unless you know it it, uh, is a really good situation really good fit uh in the february signing period now that they've got uh murano on the fold yeah yeah absolutely it's definitely again a position that they wanted to to really fill up in this 2020 class and there was a little bit of you know, no questions about whether or not it was going to happen after after signing just two in the the early period. But really, those two guys that they got are, are really really great players, and they were able to add another really great player in uh in Murano. So it, it's it's certainly exciting and uh, create some depth and uh, big talent at uh, at that position. So it'll be fun to watch moving forward. And then again, as we mentioned, like I said, uh, Beaver fans, you know, may he may have slipped your radar, but don't forget, uh, Jacob Ferenzi obviously comes in as the 2019 gray shirt. He's supposed to be with the team here shortly. He's a six foot five, 283 pound offensive guard, came out of North Bend. So really, when you combine all those four guys together, now you've got a group, and you're like, okay, th- this is a really solid group. And I think that's what Jonathan Smith and company are seeing now that they kind of see it all in front of them the same way, the same way we do. Yeah, certainly. It's a again, it's a great number to have. A lot of real talent co- coming in in the 2020 class, and certainly can't forget about Jacob Frenzy as well. I'm sure he's taking a lot of time throughout uh, his gray shirt period to to really put on some size and you know train and, and focus on his technique and things like that. So it'll certainly be interesting to watch moving forward. Again, I think they have a, a lot of talent now at the position, and uh, whether or not they pursue another guy will probably depend on how a few more pieces fall. But overall, a uh, really, really great job by the staff to, to kind of lock up and, and share some things up in that area. And uh, just, a, just a really great group in this 2020 class. Talking Oregon State football recruiting with BeaversEdge.com. Recruiting analyst Jared Hollis, managing editor Brendan Slaughter here joining. As you kind of look at uh, you know the, the rest, obviously we're still a few weeks away from the February signing period, but it is coming up just around the corner. 
Uh, Jared, you've mm-hmm. kind of we both of us have kind of started to turn our attention a little bit to the 2021 class. You uh, just did a, had some couple updates recently. What's the vibe you're starting to get from what the Beavers are putting out there in 2021? And are you kind of liking the direction that Coach Smith and the staff are putting out there in terms of offers, keeping in touch with kids? What can you kind of tell edgers and those listening uh, about 2021? Yeah, certainly. I think it's going to be a great year on the recruiting trail. A lot of a lot of the people that I'm talking to so far just just mentioned how how often the staff is in touch with them and they're building relationships early on, which is very key in uh in recruiting so definitely nice to hear that and certainly something you want to focus on as a coach and something you want to hear as a fan so for them to be doing that already and and really developing those relationships with some guys and even some top talents as well if you're tuned in on beaver's edge you probably saw the uh, the 2021 big board that we posted a couple weeks ago a lot of big fish on that board that are hearing from the from the beavers a whole lot so it'll really be interesting to kind of see how it all plays out but uh overall just doing a great job building relationships with the kids early and uh, you know, keeping their name on the minds of, of all of these players, and a lot of a lot of upcoming visits as well too. I think that's something that'll be really important. You saw it last uh, last year around this time. A lot of kids, you know, were starting to visit around March and April. So definitely something to be tuned in for. If they can do it again, it wouldn't be surprising to see them have another you know, class that, that repeats as, you know, one of the better ones in the in the last 10 or 15 years. Well, you think, obviously, uh, John Miller really started that class off really early last year, but the big coup, yeah. obviously, I believe, was in late May when they got uh, Golbranson and Zariah Beeson to visit around the same time, and that's when, you know, Jonathan Smith even said it on signing day. That was the real, you know, like, hey, these two big-time names are invested. Let's go get the rest of this class, and, you know, he praised those guys staying through the whole time, and now I think with the Beavers being, you know, coming off a, a five and seven season as opposed to the previous year coming off two and ten, again that's measurable growth. You're a year wiser in terms of the coaching staff selling your vision. I think we could see even more success just based on the fact that the program is in a much more uh, upward state and better spot than it was just say a year ago. One hundred percent. That's something that definitely cannot be overlooked. Like you said, that's measurable growth going from from two and ten to five and seven. A lot of really great things to look forward to, and it's something that the staff's really selling to these recruits is that hey, I mean we're a program on the rise. This is something that you can be a part of. You can be you you know you can be a big piece of a uh, of a program that you know bursts back into the national scene again. So selling that and actually you know proving that it's gonna happen by uh you know by all that growth that you just saw in the 2019 season. It means a lot to these kids, and it proves that these coaches aren't just saying words, but they really mean what they're saying, and, and there really is something special brewing in Corvallis that, that they have a chance to be a part of. And the other thing that's, you know, not to say that it hasn't happened in recent seasons, but another thing that I, I don't think cannot be overstated in recruiting is that, you know, not that it wasn't the case over the last, you know, five or six years or so, but now the Beavers have players that are starting to become nationally recognizable, whether or not they've already left or not. Like Isaiah Hodgins was a household name by the time, you know, at least on the West Coast. You know, maybe, you know, obviously has a lot of talent in this receiver class is deep. But having a guy like Isaiah Hodgins where, you know, if you ask a receiver recruit on the West Coast where the Beavers are targeting, who's Isaiah Hodgins, they're going to know, right? You, you know, you had a guy now where, you know, I, I don't know if anybody in the Pac-12 is not going to know who Hamika Rashid is. You know, if you're a defensive guy and you have the guy that was um, second in the nation in sacks behind Chase Young and led the nation in tackles for loss, he's coming back for his senior season. So, like, sure. you know, those little things where it's kind of like, 
you know, Isaiah Hodgins going to do big things. Artavis Pierce just had a really nice day in the Senior Bowl. Jake Luton, unfortunately, didn't get to play as he had an injury. Um, but kind of the point is, you know, you have names that are recognizable. You're able to win some more games. Hodgins was on the short list for the Bolitnikoff for a little while. So, you know, all those things go hand in hand. I think it's just more of, you know, Jonathan Smith, they're confident in their message. But when they can walk into a kid's living room and be like, you know, here's some of our recent successes, I think that puts them over the edge in some situations. Absolutely. I mean, a really big thing for kids and the parents also is, is again, just to see that, that it's not just words that these coaches are saying. Because, yep. you know, any coach can go in and say, hey, you know, we're turning this thing around or, or hey, we're going we're gonna to keep this thing at the top. But it's, a, it's another thing for it to actually be showing on the field. So for them to, to be making those improvements uh, definitely speaks <clears throat> not only to the kids but to the, the families, which is another big thing. You know, if you win over the family, oftentimes you'll be able to, to win over the recruit. But, yeah, it certainly helps when you have guys like, like Hodgins and Rashid who, who are able to make a really big name for themselves on a national stage. And it's just another message for the coach, more ammo for them to be able to walk into someone's house and say, hey, you want to be the next one of these guys? You can do that in Corvallis. <laughs> Yeah, no, and 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 that's you know that that was uh you know for the for the longest time you know I'm trying to think of the last big name, but that was what uh, a few years ago wide receivers coach Brent Brennan held his hat on and sold to a bunch of young Oregon State receivers and to an extent even uh, uh, Isaiah Hodgins a little bit where he's like you can come here and be the next Brandon Cooks in, in a bit of a way and you know Hodgins had Hodgins for what it was worth had was the best receiver the Beavers had since Brandon Cooks so now it's like okay in the last couple years you've had a Brandon Cooks as a Hodgins you can come be a big time receiver and play here and you know that's why someone like Zariah Beeson wanted to come here and wanted to be a part of it so it, it all goes hand in hand there's a lot of you know things that go through a recruit but Oregon State the bottom line for anyone that's listening the recruiting uh, emphasis is on the up the vibe is on the up and you know the Beavers are trending up all, all considering and there's not a lot you can really pick at right now because they're doing everything the right way and they're pushing all the right buttons. Yeah, yeah, that's 100% correct. There's there's a lot of things they can sell right now. The program on a whole is on the up and up, whether it's on the recruiting trail, on the field, in the classroom even. They're, they're you know, averaging, what was it, 3.2 GPA. Mm-hmm. It's really just a lot of things going right with the program right now. It's certainly admirable from a from a recruiting standpoint and from, from really any standpoint. It's just something that's really nice to see, you know, the kids be able to, to, to hear about all this while they're going through the process and then get to the school and make great things happen for themselves and for the program. And in case you're just joining us again, Jared Hallis, recruiting analyst, Beaver's Edge, Brendan Slaughter here. We're talking Tyler Morano's commitment to Oregon State, to the offensive lineman joining the fold, uh, going to join the 2020 class. Let's look ahead to that signing period, Jared, just to kind of close and wrap up. Now that the Beavers yeah. are getting closer to that number of being, you know, you know, I would say plus or minus two or three, depending on how things shake out scholarship-wise, are we going to be seeing a lot of walk-ons and maybe one or two guys that they kind of pluck out and, and take? Or what, what's your prediction for what we're going to see here uh, coming up in February? Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got Murano committed and uh, would be certainly really, really surprising to see that change between now and then. You know, one thing that the staff did such a great job with in the early period was making sure that there was no drama. So I expect the same thing again for February. If there is drama, I would expect it to be good. I would not expect anything bad. Uh, as far as you know, transfers or decommitments go, obviously Morano is the only player who's committed at the moment, but I wouldn't expect that to change. So if there's anything that kind of surprises you, I would expect it to be a, a happy surprise. There's a few guys they're still looking at in the portal. 
and uh, obviously uh, uh, some other high school talent out there with Jake Griffin, who just visited as well. Again, not sure that they want to take another offensive lineman, but if it comes down to it and uh, Griffin wants to spot out, it would certainly be interesting to see what would happen there. Overall, probably room for one, maybe two more players. Uh, again, they're exploring all avenues to see who that's going to be, and uh, we'll have intel on that at Beaver's Edge. Yeah, you don't want to miss at beaversedge.com, the place for it. Jared Hallis and I keeping locks on Oregon State recruiting, Oregon State men's basketball, Oregon State women's basketball, Oregon State baseball, basically anything Oregon State, you're going to want to be over at beaversedge.com. So just wrapping up, uh, big thanks to Jared Hallis for joining us to talk about Tyler Morano. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Mitch Mangi. We'll break down Oregon State men's and women's basketball. The women's basketball team dropped a heartbreaker to Stanford, and then the men's basketball team. What do I think about him? What's going on with Wayne Tinkle's group? We'll dive into it next. Keep it locked right here on the Edge Podcast. And we're back here on the Edge Podcast. I'm joined now by BeaversEdge.com writer and KBVR broadcaster Mitch Mangi to talk about Oregon State men's and women's basketball. The Oregon State men's basketball team dropped both games on their most recent road trip to Washington and Washington State, while the Oregon State women's team split on at home with Cal and Stanford crushing Cal and then falling in a very close game to Stanford on Sunday. Mitch, you were calling that game live on KBVR. Let's just talk about the women first and what is next for the Beavers after dropping such a heartbreaking game like that. Well, I mean, first off, you got to give props to Destiny Slocum. She was there, you know, kind of all their offense in the first half, and that's when they looked the best. And then, I mean, you also got to give credit where credit's due. Stanford played well, especially Keanu Williams and the whole sisters didn't let Oregon State get anything going offensively. They were just hammering Oregon State's guards all all evening, afternoon long. And, I mean, it really just came down to Stanford playing that hard-nosed, tough um, Tara Vanderveer defense that they're known for. And, you know, it's, it's it was you, you knew Stanford was going to have the motivation after dropping a, a huge loss down there in Eugene to Oregon. And again, I was talking with Steve Gress actually at the game, and we, we kind of came to the conclusion this is this is the toughest three game stretch for any women's team in the nation. I mean, Stanford at home, Oregon on the road, Oregon back at home. I mean, nobody's got a tougher three game stretch than that. So you can't expect them to win it all. But I mean, obviously, a great uh, showing against Oregon would do huge things going forward for this team. Now you mentioned that the Beavers suffered just their second loss of the year. They're now sixteen and two on the year, four and two in conference. That's good for. Fifth best in the Pac-12 currently. You know, Mitch, you and I were talking about it uh, off-air uh, after the game and just talking about how that loss to Arizona State really hurts now that you see how the conference is starting to shake out. You got UCLA at 5-1, and one, Stanford at 5-1, and one, Oregon at 5-1, and one, Arizona State at 5-2, and two, and then the Beavers come in at 4-2. and two. Looking back, what we know, obviously you can't go back, but how big was dropping that game in Tempe? Yeah, you know, this would have been the first loss of the season for them, so it would have been, you know, a quality quality first loss I guess and then you don't have that that Arizona State loss that now looking at the schedule you know kind of sticks out like a sore thumb it's like you know they were in it at the end but again this is a series of close games between Arizona Arizona State and Stanford where the Beavers have been within 10 of every single finish so you know they the, the team early on was used to you know early lead blowing teams out and now they've got to deal with you know the closer matchups and I think that that's actually going to be beneficial for them going forward especially when you start to get to the tournament, you're going to be, you know, every team you play is going to be competitive. There's no easy games in the tournament. The Beavers saw that against Boise State in the first game last year. And I mean, it's just, I I think it's good for this team that even though they do have a lot of, you know, veterans, seniors, 
Um, obviously, Michaela Pivik, as a senior, has done wonders for that team, just keeping the keeping them pretty level headed throughout every game, and you know, adding in you know Destiny Slocum. But then again, we saw against uh, Cal, they were trying to get in some of those younger players. Obviously, Patricia Morris had a big game for them, but building that experience is great. But at the same time, you also need the the to play in those close games because that'll help you in the long run. Talking Oregon State women's basketball with Mitch Manji. He works for us at BeaversEdge.com and also is the play-by-play voice for KBVR Student Radio there in Corvallis, Oregon. My alma mater hold a very soft spot for that place. Mitch, what was it like to uh, get behind a top-notch women's game again behind the mic? I'm sure that was pretty fun yesterday. Oh, it was a ton of fun, especially with the the support that Beaver Nation always comes out for, especially for the women's games. Uh, 80, I think 8,600 people there, close to 9,000. I mean, it was it was filled to the roof, and, you know, there's a ton of energy in there. And it, it was... You know, as an Oregon State student, it was disappointing to see them fall, you know, fall to Stanford there close late at the end. But I mean, overall, just the atmosphere there is always great. And that's that's one of the huge advantages that Oregon State has, especially. And and again, I, I hate to look forward so far, but when you get to the tournament, if you can host those first two games, you know, Oregon State has a great home court advantage. And I think that's going to come into play, especially against Oregon on Sunday, because that game's been sold out for a while. So actually, um we're, I'm going to be, along with um, partner Matt Volman, we're going to be calling the both those games on KBVR down in Eugene on Friday and then again Sunday um, here in Corvallis. So those are going to be, you know, two really fun games to call and, you know, just enjoying, kind of just enjoying the schedule and, you know, obviously great to watch high caliber women's basketball. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that game this weekend. Mitch, you just alluded to them. Two matchups, Oregon State and Oregon, the Civil War matchups this week. Definitely the most exciting thing happening uh, for, you know, across the athletic scene this week. I mean, you're talking about two top 10 teams facing each other in just a matter of days. I'll be in Corvallis on Sunday for that game. Should be an incredible two games between, you know, Sabrina Ionescu, Michaela Pivot, Kelly Graves, Scott Ruick. The the rivalry has really grown into one of the more special in all of women's college basketball. And going back to your point about the attendance I have been around the program and now I've been around the program with Scott Ruick now long enough to know that when I was a freshman at Oregon State back in like 13, 14, they were lucky to, you know, still get, they were starting to get this, this crowd. You know, you'd get your 3,000, your 4,000. You know, the Beavers were just on the cusp of starting to make their run and become the elite program they are now. And now we've just seen that growth of what Scott Ruick and the team have built to the point now where regularly this year they're outselling the men's basketball program and it really isn't close. Right. And again, that's just, you know, Beaver Nation always has supported both those teams. But I think at this point, you know, you realize the consistency year to year that that women's program and under the leadership of Scott Rook that they bring. I mean, obviously, Wayne Tinkle's done a great job taking over the men's program since he's gotten there. And they've they've taken, you know, numerous strides, especially with the the win totals and all their seasons. But again, the women's basketball team is just so consistent. And I think that it's it's just awesome to see. Um, you don't always get that support for women's basketball. So especially when you get, you know, year in, year out, you've got a really good, obviously ha- they haven't been out of the rankings since I want to say the end of the 2013, 14 year. Yeah. That sounds uh, about right. Final about rankings right. there. So if you've got a team that's ranked in the top 25 for that long, it's just great to see the support. I mean, when we were there at, I want to say uh, just slightly before 1030 going to get set up, there was a line off the gill steps down onto the, you know, the promenade area there. 
And it, it was just awesome to see the energy that they bring. I mean, people are, when they open the doors, people are rushing in to try and get their best seats, their favorite seats possible. It's just, it's always an awesome atmosphere for those women's games. And again, disappointing that they dropped the game to Stanford, but a huge opportunity to rebound this weekend. Yeah, you mentioned that. And we'll get to Wayne Tinkle's squad and the interesting conundrum that they are as a team this year uh, in just a little bit. But just finishing up on women's basketball, you know, we mentioned you start off Friday in Eugene, Matthew Knight Arena. Most uh, that's game sold out. Let's let's just talk about that. The fact that there's two sellouts, two top ten programs. I mean, are we see, maybe going to see the most two of the most electric women's basketball uh, atmospheres this state has ever seen? I believe so, and and that's what makes it probably well, it, it not probably it is the the worst or the most dangerous road trip for any other team is when you have to go play on the road in Eugene and then in Corvallis. I mean, you know you're going to have two electric crowds, two fan bases that are very passionate about their teams and two teams that are, you know, top 10 programs. So that's got it. That is the hardest road trip in the Pac-12. And I think a lot of teams know that side. Obviously, Stanford knew that coming in, which is why it was so important for them to be able to rebound this weekend against Oregon State and get the win, especially for the for them in the Pac-12. But again, I mean, th this is something the state of Oregon hasn't seen in, in a while. And it's honestly, you know, a lot of Oregon State fans might say they wish Oregon wasn't as good and, you know, that they kind of ran the state. But at the same time, it's such a it just creates such a great competitive atmosphere. And, you know, just having the Civil War rivalry run not only for football, but again, now for women's basketball it, at, at this level is just impressive to see. And it's really fun to be a part and be around. No, you you know, just being a part of it. And that was the thing is that when you when when whether it's, you know, Oregon State fans, whether it's the coaches, the players, incoming recruits, prospective recruits, whatever have you with the women's team and Scott Rook, you feel like you're a part of the team and you feel like you're a part of the atmosphere. And I think that's why consistently time in and time again, obviously the on court product being a winner has obviously helped. But that's why those fans will stick through this team through thick and thin. Right. And and a big part of that is, you know, Scott Rooks always talked about the Beaver, the, the team being, you know, a family. And they always have like the mingle afterwards. Definitely. I mean, where the fans get to go and interact with the team and, and the team. I mean, everybody just there's so much support on both sides from, you know, whether it's Scott Ruick for the fans or the players, you know, loving the fans. And then just the way the fans come out and support the players from just, uh, you know, actually like a, a genuine support. It's not like it's superficial. You know, you're watching them on TV or you're fo just following along, like showing up all the time and actually getting to go and, you know, talk to players after the game and stuff. I think it's just, you know, Scott Rook's done such a great job establishing that family culture for the Oregon State women's. And, you know, he, he recruits players based off of that and that's what he can pitch. And, and it's a hundred percent honest, you know, and, and people love to play in that because it's a fun, fun to be around. You know, you mentioned it right there. It's absolutely a great time to be around the women's basketball program. And again, they play Friday, 7 p.m. on Pac-12 Network. Uh, you can catch that game uh, on uh, Rip City Radio right here. Is uh, we'll be broadcasting those games as well as uh, Mitch and Matt Volman will have that call. And then uh, Sunday, the 26th, they go 1 p.m. That game's on ESPN two. So the Sunday game gets the bigger television day, and the uh, game in Corvallis gets the bigger television day. I got a feeling Sunday is going to be Oregon State's best chance to get it. Just based, I think a split would be a dream scenario for Oregon State, just given where they're coming off of. And you know, I think this is a weekend where we can see, you know, in years past where the road or the home team wins each contest. Yeah, I would not be surprised if that was the case. Um, but again, there's you could argue for either team being in line to get a sweep. I mean, 
Oregon State coming Very off true. the close loss to Stanford. I mean, they've got added motivation now to go down into Eugene and pull off an upset, and then why not do it again at home? The same case for you know Oregon. They finally moved. They're moving up to number four. A lot of people consider them still the best team in the country. Even at number four, obviously, a couple losses along the way. I mean, you mentioned Arizona State. They were able to get Oregon as well. So, you know, it, you could make the case that Oregon's got the motivation to do it. They want to be that number one team. Um, they have probably unquestioned the best player in women's college basketball in Sabrina Unescu. I mean, she's averaging almost a triple-double this season alone in her senior year. So why not try to go get that Civil War sweep? So, I mean, both teams have a ton to play for, and it's going to be just a ton of fun to watch and even more fun to broadcast. Again, you can catch those games on Friday and Sunday. Oregon State, Oregon Civil War women's basketball, two top 10 matchups. You're not going to want to miss it. Let's switch gears real quick here, Mitch, and move over to the other side and over to Wayne Tinkle's group, the Oregon State men's basketball team. Beavers currently 12-6, and 2-4 and four in conference. What are your first initial thoughts on this team, given the expectation, the talent, and more than anything, the inconsistent play that's led to the four losses as opposed to the great play that's led to the two wins? Yeah, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. Inconsistent was going to be the first word that you know came to mind. The other one would be disappointing because you know this team is capable of so much more. Obviously, Washington State had a great atmosphere for that game. Um, and, and just a shout-out to Washington State. They put on a great ceremony at halftime for clay thompson i was watching that game on the pac-12 network obviously i'm a you know from california always been a warriors fan my whole life and so watching you know when we drafted clay thompson um you know just always been a huge fan of his and it was just great to see what they did for him i mean honoring him up there and you know you want to hope as an oregon state fan that you see that happen you know here in gill one day you know having a having a player of his caliber somebody who affects the program in such a positive way come through but you knew it was going to be tough because of that i mean you had the stars out obviously along you know steph curry and clay thompson zaza patchouli my guy was there um i have to say my my favorite part of that whole thing was when the washington state training staff or staff member whoever it was someone made sure steph had his popcorn i love that yep and then then they flew him back down and they were at a at oracle that night they played the magic at 5 30 and steph was the sideline reporter for that game for um, NBC Sports Bay Area. He had his bag of popcorn on the sideline there too. So that guy pretty- and his popcorn, man, I love it. I know. I love. I love popcorn too, but I don't think anybody loves it as much as him. But either way, I mean, you knew it was going to be a tough environment. The Zoo Crew was out in full force. Everybody had their Clay Thompson, the Clay Game shirts on, and so you know, props to Washington State. But the bigger one that really concerns me more of those two losses was the w- loss to Washington, and mainly because. You know, Wayne Tinkle is known as a defensive coach. They run the 2-3 zone. They run the 1-3-1 zone. They also switch to the man. So obviously they're going to be practicing that a lot, right? You'd think that. So why can't this team beat a zone? Oh, you know, this, it, is, this, is where so you, this is where you took the words out of my mouth this time, Monji, because I sat back and, you know, was watching that game. And, you know, obviously part of what I do here at Rip City Radio is, is board hopping those games. And, you know, just watching the 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 look on it from TV against Washington, it, I mean, you know what Mike Hopkins is going to bring. He's going to bring a 2-3 zone. That's what the Cuse has done for years. It's what they're good at. And it looked like Oregon State hadn't even be, been ready to break a 2-3 zone for the first time all season. And yet they run it and see it all the time. And the, and the other thing I, is that kind of bothers me is you want to get 
obviously Zach Reichel, you know, he's known as kind of a three-point shooter, but hasn't been, you know, as hot this year. Just get him to take more shots. I mean, you see him hesitating on open looks. I know you, everybody knows Washington's the more athletic team. Obviously, has you know the top prospects and Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels who didn't even play in the game. But I mean, you got athleticism all over the floor, like Nazaria Carter. I mean, everybody knows he's got major ups and is an athletic freak. And uh, obviously, Tyler Bay did a great job at the point guard spot. But I mean, still, you got it. Ethan Thompson. I mean, he didn't look to to get his shot for from deep i mean trace is the perfect zone buster you you just got to get him on yep. either one of the elbows he can pass out to kick to the three once they crash if not he's wide open and he's a you know an expert mid-range shooter so i just didn't think that they had the proper game plan and it's it's something that you've had obviously wayne knows trace better than anybody it's his own son but i mean why not try to utilize his game more the other thing is Really love Gianni Hunt. He, I think he's done a great job. But I think if you're going to go against a team that's so athletic in Washington, you have to match them with the athleticism that you have. Because it's okay. not like Oregon State doesn't. You saw Sean Miller more. He had the high-flying alley-oop. He had the put-back dunk. I mean, those were both highlight reel plays and just showcasing his athleticism. And so I just think that you got to game plan better. you got to get the guys to that create the best matchup. Because as soon as you see Reichel starting to hesitate and no confidence – you know, I, I think you got to get him out of the game. I mean, as much as I love the kid, he's got a ton of heart, great player, plays tough defense and everything. But I mean, I'm just I just question the rotation sometimes, the game plan, and it, and it's kind of frustrating. You know, Wayne's in his what sixth year now. Yep. I mean, you you know what Washington's going to bring each and every time, and so that's why when when they were able to beat Washington at home those several times, it was because Stevie was shooting the three ball more and forcing them to spread out the zone. I mean, he's not afraid to take it from three, four feet behind the the arc, and he's got confidence. We've seen throughout the year, Trace can shoot that. I mean, and, and well shoot it efficiently. So, I mean, it was one of those things where I wanted to to see something change up, and nothing changed the entire game. You know, it was, and Washington did the same thing, and they just kept on kept on beating him. And it was obviously, you know, kind of close. A, kind of close at the start and then obviously Washington out to like the I think the 10 point lead at the half after they did that stat change um but either way then Isaiah Stewart just bullied Kyler Kelly in the second half he started getting his and that was the other thing is is once you start running you know cutters through the zone Kyler that's that could be Kyler's game plan he's just you know didn't look like he was very comfortable against a bigger stronger center in Isaiah Stewart yeah, talking with Mitch Monji from BeaversEdge.com, also from KBVR. You know, Mitch, you, you you read when I when I went down to Corvallis this last week, and this was coming off the Arizona win. I went and did a, a whole big spread on the men's and women's team and, you know, went to practice and everything. And, you know, um, I listened to, you know, Coach Tinkle's post-game interviews against uh, after Washington and Washington State with Mike Parker. And, you know, the, the sense that I get, and, and, you know, just from my opinion, this team – uh, talks the talk, but walks the walk about 50% of the time. Right. And I'm not sure what that's about. If you've got, you got, I mean, do you disagree? Do you disagree? Yeah. I mean, Trace is a, Trace is a senior. I I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's to me, it's more of why, why can't they show up every single night when you've got the kind of, you know, veteran leadership. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, my, my thing when I look at this is that, you know, it's early. And, and, and I, I applaud and credit Coach Tinkle for keeping that positive mindset. You know, even after Washington State, he was like, you know, this one hurts, but it's still early. My thing is that after this Arizona win, you've got people like Joe Lenardi and Andy Katz putting you on either in the tournament or on the bubble or last four in. 
And I, I guess my thing is it's just not translatable. I don't know if it's a problem getting these kids motivated, but this isn't something that has that is suddenly new. You want to talk about one thing that's absolutely definable of Wayne Tinkle's tenure, it's inconsistent play. You know, you look at whether it's last year, um, you know, you take out the year that Trace broke his wrist. That team only won five games, but still had Stevie Thompson and Drew Eubanks for what it's worth. So, you know, you go back. I think the Beavers have had ample talent. I just don't think they've executed well. And if I'm an Oregon State fan, if this season continues to, tr- to trend this way, I'm worried about what's next because the Beavers are kind of this middling, you know, every now and again good, every now and again not so good team with an unbelievable player like Trace Tinkle. What's going to happen when Trace Tinkle goes away? I mean, I wonder if it actually benefits them. And and hear me out here. Simply for the fact that you have to use everybody on your bench. I mean, it's going to, when you don't have a star player, it's going to force this team to play cohesive basketball. They're going to have to play as a team. They're not going to be able to rely on Trace to bail them out. And, you know, Ethan maybe to hasn't really stepped right now. up. Say that again. I said maybe even to a fault right now. Right. And, and that's, you know, obviously Trace is a great player and it's, you know, awesome to have him on the team. But, I mean, they, they do rely on him a lot. They rely on – I want to see Ethan work more off the ball. He's always got the ball in his hands. And I think Gianni Hunt has showed, him, showed himself this year that he can be the guy to run the point. I mean, you, you've got guys like Jared Lucas looking at the stats right now. He's, he's still shooting 34% from deep. That's not, you know, not terrible. Trace is shooting 43%. Ethan's shooting 35%. So any of those guys that are, you know, 33, 34 and above, you just got to get them more looks. Lucas has only taken 35 threes on this whole season. I mean, so it's, I think that they need to get some more shots up, spread the ball around. Um, they do way too much dribbling, in my opinion. I think, you know, Ethan's at the top of the key and they dribble and, and he just keeps on dribbling the ball, looking for something to set up. It's like, well, there's no off ball movement. There's not a lot of cuts. And Oregon State started out against Arizona running that, running those circles along the top of the three point line. You know, the dribble to the left, the hand, dribble handoff, yeah. Yeah. takes it back to the top. And then just getting that motion seemed to help them loosen up and spread the floor against Arizona. And given Arizona did not play their best game by any means um, against the Beavers, but still a huge win for that team. But I mean, you know, I'd like to see more of Gianni Hunt, more Sean Miller, more, and more Jared Lucas. And almost try to, you almost have to dial back Alfred Hollins and Zach Reichel just for the fact that they're streaky. You know, yeah. in the Arizona game, they were on, and you got to give them the minutes and reward them. But when they're not, I mean, Hollins brings that length, athleticism in, on the defensive end, but I mean, so does Sean Miller more. Right. And you know that kid's an athlete. You've, everybody's seen it. The other guy I want to see them get more involved is Dastrup. I think he would have been the other perfect zone breaker because, number one, he's smart. Two, he can shoot, and three, he's he you know he's got that high basketball IQ, so and, and kind of goes along with the smart there. But regardless, when you get dashed up the the ball in that mid range, you know he's got a silky shot. He can make the jumper if you're not going to pressure him. But if you do pressure him, he's going to find the open man. Granted, his passing is maybe not the best on the team, but he he knows where the ball is supposed to go. And then even if not, I mean, he's good to go set the screens, the run the pick and pop. He's open on a lot of those. So 
I'd, I'd just like to see him utilize the bench a little more, and I'd like to see Wayne try to ride the hot hand as opposed to it feels like he's sticking to preset rotations. Yeah, you know, the you, you talk about movement, and, you know, the, you know, I've been saying that for a long time. You know, uh, the best, you know, the, the and you'll you'll probably crack a smile, Mitch, but the, the, the epitome of what I think good basketball is and good ball movement is what the Golden State Warriors created. So if yeah. I, you know, if, if it was, you know, me, I'd be bringing that ball up the floor and I'd make sure everybody touches it before I get a wide open shot. There's not that consistent ball movement. And I think it leads to stagnant offense sometimes. And, you know, I, I think the Beavers, like you said, need to get a little bit better at breaking zones. And when you have players like Trace Tinkle, you should never struggle to score points. That's, that's just my opinion of, in terms of, you know, the talent that he brings to the table. And, you know, I, I remember going back to the old days of, Craig Robinson and most uh, some of these Oregon State Beavers Edge subscribers will certainly uh, laugh. You know, his trademark thing was he would just yell at the top of his lungs, move at his offense just about, you know, three or four times a game because it would just get stagnant near the end of his tenure to the point where you couldn't break a basic zone. Offense was struggling hard to come by. And there was a lot of talent. I mean, you look at Craig Robinson's last year, there was a lot of talent still on the roster, but yet the offense didn't come and the defense didn't come because of, you know, poor coaching. And that was the end of the Robinson tenure. And I'm not comparing apples to oranges, but I'm just saying there's something that's still not working. Right. And the fact that it's taken, you know, it's, it's always like, how long is enough enough before you kind of stop making excuses. Right. And and that's, and that's a vibe I'm getting a lot of the time from this team is that they'll have a great win. And yes, I applaud them, right? They've had some good wins. Colorado and Arizona, those are two really good wins on the year. But if you can't back it up and then beat even one of those other four teams they've lost to in conference, I'm sorry, you're not a contender for the NCAA tournament. Right, they're going to have to make a run here. Um, and I'm not saying it can't I'll... happen. They have enough talent to where it can happen. I'm not, and for Oregon State fans listening, the season is not you know, sinking. The ship is not sinking. It's just in precarious waters right now. Right. I think you're going to – I think a lot of more people are going to be saying that the ship's sinking if they drop either of these two games against UCLA or USC. Yep. I, I think they're must-win games at this point. They are. Um, not only for the confidence, um, but also for the program going forward because this would be the second time in two years that they've had a major conference collapse You know, while, they're, while they've got a lot of talent and had a great run. Obviously, last year was the end of the year. Um, when they were poised to potentially move into one of the top four seeds for mm-hmm. the Pac-12 tournament. I think they ended up, what was it, three or four? They got they, four. They did get the bye, and then they were smoked right. by Colorado. Right, exactly. But they were in play for the one or the two, am I right? Yeah, I believe they were up. I don't think it, I think the one was out of reach, but they could have gotten as high as two, I believe. Don't ch- I mean, one of those. They were real close, and again, right. the Pac was a little bit down last year, but this is the talent they have, and that's where you look at this, and you see Oregon State – they're two and four, right? They were, tw- or they were ten and two coming out of non-conference, and now you've already saddled yourself with four losses um, via the conference. Only up to six, you know. It, it's just it, if you could go back and kind of reset again. They've had a, a couple bad games is going to happen, but you go back to what the the recipe for success is. You win at home, or you sweep at home, you split on the road. Oregon State hasn't done that, right? And one of the big things was. You know, it it wasn't even just the losses. Like, I would not have been that disappointed in this team if they did drop both games, but it's the way they looked and just played in both games. 56 points against Washington. Obviously, they're known for their defense. you got to get to 
at least 60. I mean, they're they're holding their opponents to 62 on average on the year. So the fact that you can't crack 60 there is disappointing. And then Washington State's obviously you flip it and you and then you allow them to score 89, 89. Right, and credit to Washington State. Um, Isaac, I can't think of his last name, and CJ Slimby. Yeah. But those those two guys had great games, and and props to Washington State again. So, yeah, you know, and, it's and, just and even guys for uh, um for Washington had big games too. You look at Marcus Sahonis, you know, he had a big game as well. The local products, so you know that happens. I but it's it's just about not letting it kind of spiral. And now you look at it, the Beavers have lost, you know, three out of their last four. So you know, as you mentioned, winnable games coming up, and you know that's the nice thing about it is there's you know beavers don't have to wait long to rest on their laurels, as we mentioned, precarious waters, but a stretch coming up at home, some home cooking will probably be exactly what they need. They've got UCLA and USC eight p.m. Thursday night, and then two p.m. on Saturday. Um, I, I agree with you, Mitch. I think it's a must sweep situation to get back to five hundred in conference, and if you do that, then heading into a a road trip with Stanford and Cal two teams that are near the top of the conference, maybe you have a chance to kind of reassess yourself against some of the top competition. But if I was Wayne Tinkle, you know, you've talked about it and you've seen it now. The wagons have to be circled now, right, Mitch? Yeah. I mean, well, I'm just looking at the schedule right now, and this was a team that some people were questioning, you know, how good really were they with the non-conference schedule. So you're 11-1 and 11 and 1 coming off that Texas-San Antonio win. You drop to Texas A&M. Come back at home, beat North Dakota. Okay, that's, you know, you should probably should have won both of those. But then, so you got a loss, a win, and then you lose to Utah, bounce back, big win at Colorado. Lose to Arizona State, bounce back, big win against Arizona. Lost to Washington, lost to Washington State. So that's five losses in their last eight games. I mean, at at this point, you know, what, what, when do you say, hey, you know, something's not working, especially if you're waiting to win is, when do we need to make an adjustment? What's going on here? And I think that a little bit of that has been overshadowed that the fact that two of their wins were against, you know, top 25 or, or going to be top 25 programs. Well, my thing is that maybe, and again, this is just kind of the pessimistic side of me looking at it, but maybe the maybe the Colorado and Arizona games are more the outlier performances and what we see in the other games is more the norm for Oregon State. I mean, until they prove us otherwise, and, you know, you hear about it from fans, you, know, you talk to anybody, talk to anybody on the Beaver's Edge damn board, you talk to any casual Oregon State basketball fan, and you said it, the first word that comes up is inconsistency. And, you know, you you know, Mitch, you've seen on the Beaver's Edge board, you know, you've got people who are like, yeah, yeah, I'm back on board, you know, a big-time win against Colorado. And then a performance comes through where you have, you know, these long-time fans that are just like, what? And then you do it again, and you're like, another big win. You're like, okay, you know, they had a bad game. Then you follow it up with another bad performance and another bad performance, and you're kind of like, oh, like what's like what's the pulse, right? I feel like I don't even have a good pulse on this team, and nobody really does because they're so kind of like, like I said, just kind of sitting in precarious waters, like w- trying to figure out what's next. Right, and I and I really agree with you know I've seen a couple of posts from some of the subscribers. Then one of them that kind of sticks out to me is like, you know, I don't even want to follow the men's team anymore because I just get so emotionally invested, then just get let down. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I, can, I'm I feel that. Focused. Games and it's, but it's like I feel that you know I completely understand, and at this point it's valid. It's a 100% valid argument because this team has continued to get people's expectations up over the past five six years, yep. and then continually let them down in in 
not even dramatic fashion, just just crushing fashion, you know. Obviously got to the tournament with GP2 and then lost. Was that was that the Texas, I believe? Uh, VCU, actually. Oh, VCU, okay. Um, so then, you know, dropped the first game there, and then you haven't gotten back to the tournament since. You know, when's that going to change? And again, I, I already brought it up in that crushing collapse last year at the end of the tournament, or at the rather end of the conference season, and then again, to start the conference season, you just are playing poorly. It's just, at a certain point, when does it become completely unacceptable from the um, view of Scott Barnes? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's, that's, uh, that's you know, the big question that's obviously going to be on the minds if things tr- continue to trend in the wrong direction. And again, from the, you know, from, from everything, I, I, I don't want that to happen. I don't think Beaver fans do too, especially when you see how much talent this team has. But my thing is that, it's the fan base, right? And you look at, and again, just a comparison that popped into my head. Nowadays, you know, Mitch, you, you, you know as well as I, with the world we live in where it's an instant gratification world, you have to put something special on the court or on the field to get people to leave their living rooms, pay the money, and come. You know, you, were, you talked about it. You've seen it nationwide, you know, with college football programs making you know, stadiums maybe smaller, making the experience better. And you see it with, you know, basketball games as well, where it's all about the fan experience right now. And right. you look at the Oregon State football team. From what happened at the end of the Riley area through the Gary Anderson era, there are still fans that even though Jonathan Smith has brought it back up, have not come back to the program in the way that they were because they were emotionally let down and hurt through those really, really tough Gary Anderson years. And then for Oregon State men's basketball, it goes back even further, right? Because you had all those fans that, you know, are in the their older years now that love to support Ralph Miller, Gary Payton Sr., A.C. Green. Oregon State has such a rich history of winning. You know, you if you can even believe it, they're still one of the top 20 winningest basketball programs of all time. And, you know, basically after Jimmy Anderson, Gary Payton's senior year, it's been bad coach after bad coach after, you know, so on and so forth. And then, obviously, Wayne Tinkle deserves a ton of props. And, you know, Gary Payton II, too. And largely, you know, I would say a lot of Craig Robinson's guys for getting to that NCAA tournament berth. But it's been since. What since has given you optimism for the future, I guess, right. is, my, is my thing. And that's where it's like, you know, getting that monkey off your back. Yeah, that was 26 years. I mean, only Northwestern, who had never made the tournament. And I think they had made the tournament now prior had a longer losing streak of not getting in there. So that was important. That was huge for the program. But it's all about steps. It's like, are the Beavers satisfied with making a you know a tournament every couple of years? No, they want to be like the women's team where you're expected to be in the postseason every year and make a deep run. Right. And obviously everybody knows Wayne's a defensive-minded, uh, defensive-minded head coach. So when does it become, okay, who else can I bring in to help me get to that next level? Because, you know, Wayne's not a, not a bad coach by any means. And anytime you, you know, watch the games on, on national televisions, uh, especially FS1, um, you, those, those commentators, especially the analysts, they all give Wayne credit, a ton of credit. Um, I'll give Wayne a ton of credit as a head coach. And so when does it become, okay, who can I bring in to help, you know, kind of neutralize my I would just say modernize his offense. Look at it like an NFL coach that right. needs to bring in a hotshot OC to get things rolling again. You know what I right. mean? 
it's a little different in basketball, obviously, but maybe, you know, we saw them reshuffle the coaching staff and Gottlieb went away from being a main head coach to, or excuse me, being a main assistant coach now having more of a reserve role, and we haven't seen much change. I mean, have you noticed anything t- particularly different with not having him as an active head coach or assistant coach? Um, not particularly. And that's and, where I would have liked to send something different with, I believe it was Marlon Stewart that was promoted and, and is now a assistant coach. Right. But I mean, again, I just want to, I don't even know if that, if the shuffle in there within like, you know, the coaching staff is going to make a change. I don't know if you want to bring in new guys. I don't know how much that affects. I, I don't know as much about like the, I guess the day-to-day stuff with, right. with men's basketball as I do like with football and the coaching shuffles that you can make and and how that affects the rest of the team but again I would just pose that question you know what I guess I and this is the big thing when it goes all the way back to to Scott Barnes he needs to be able to say okay so what's what's wrong here we have a we have a you know a solid head coach we've got the talent where do we need to make it the change yeah, I mean right, what, right. what and that's and that's part of his job as the athletic director and he did a great job of that with in the football with um, bringing in Jonathan Smith and he kind of, you know, let Smith take the reins, but he knew what he was getting in that an offensive minded head coach. And Smith was able to fill that, although yet to be proven as many subscribers know with defensive coordinator, Tim Tibisar. But I mean, you know, he's, he's brought in a lot of the right guys. And so, and that, when, that future optimism get, is bright. Right, right. And when do you begin to question, does Wayne have the right guys around him? Yeah, and you know that's 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 a tough question, and and you know you hear it all, you know we we you hear about it all the time in the professionals, and at the end of the day, you know it's whenever it's decided, but it's a business, right? The athletic department is still in it to make money, and you saw with like Oregon State football, they've invested now in this staff in Jonathan Smith. You just saw he got a new contract extension because they realized the potential of what it could mean dollar wise to have that program be a winner again. And the same thing applies to men's basketball in the sense of men's basketball has the potential to make money. But if Oregon State fans, you know, that's what was kind of the end of the Craig Robinson tenure is that fans stop going to games. And that's where the pocketbook, you know, shows, okay, if we're not making money, this is a losing asset. You know, it's, it's a business and you need to be able to be able to bring money through the door and be able to have it be economically viable. And in the same sense of having that winner on the court. So we obviously got in the weeds pretty far, but you know, it's, it's, it's tough because many Oregon state fans are frustrated just with the lack of consistency. And I'm sure Wayne is too. I'm sure the team is too. It's not that these kids aren't giving it their all. It's just something's not dialed in. Right. Yeah. And again, we can sit here and speculate all day about what needs to change, but at the, at the end of the day, it just needs to get done, especially if you're, you know, viewing this from an administrative standpoint at Oregon State, you know, big time. Um, and I, I wonder if anything will change. You know, with the new president coming in, uh, I wouldn't expect anything to change. I think you know Scott Barnes controls a lot of the more the obviously the athletic side, but more like the the relationships, the inner and in, dealing with head coaches, I should say. But you know, obviously, men's basketball needs to get that support level back up and. Uh, Again, if you you got to become a winner, and if you become a winner, then you know everything else will follow. The fans, the money, and yep. and uh, you know obviously the tournament. I'm not gonna lie, Oregon State fans most definitely have to be excited the fact that they're getting a president that just came from, you know, one of the more successful athletic departments in the country, and LSU, and you know he presided over 
you know, at the time he was presided over at Ogeron getting hired, the transition from Les Miles. And, you know, anyone that comes from a big time SEC school like that tells me that they know the importance of the monetary value of what athletics can bring to a school. And, you know, I think that's all for the better. I mean, if Oregon State puts better products out there, more money in the athletic department, more money per student athlete, make, you know, it, it just goes hand in hand. And it's one of those things that it'll work out great. And that's why, you know, you have an Oregon State baseball program that is largely self-sufficient. Right. I mean, you know, and that's, you know, that's huge. And a women's basketball program that for most schools costs a lot of money and doesn't have a big return. Women's basketball for Oregon State, it probably gets closer to breaking even in the sense of, when you can pack Gill like that as a women's basketball program, that is huge. Obviously, tickets are you know much cheaper and whatnot, but you know if if Oregon State could get its big you know its big four, and I say big four in the sense of football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and baseball, they can get those big four all winning close to the same time. You'd see an athletic department that is thriving on success. Right, and again, but I mean that's what every school is trying to do as well. So you you know you got a lot of competition out there. But regardless, I think Oregon State's in a good place with football. But going back to – and obviously with women's basketball as well. Um, and, I, and I just wanted to run back to women's basketball for a quick second. One of the things that I was talking about this with Matt, who I was calling the game with, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a home game. And obviously a, a lot of – you know, obviously was not the best officiated game. Um, came down to a lot of, you know, the, the all the jump balls that were called really quickly, some of the no calls, the tic-tac foul, especially on Michaela Pivik at the, you know, 94 feet away from the hoop. But um, I almost wanted to see Scott get a technical, you know. I wondered if that would have, you know, obviously it's, it's not rare, a great it look. That's a not big message. That. It sends a big message. Yeah, that's not who Scott is as a person. That's not, you know, the great look that you want to send all the time. But sometimes that just gives your team a jolt especially when you have the seniors, the veteran leadership, because these a lot of these girls could, could you know, if, if Scott wasn't there, they could still put on a heck of a show and, and kind of coach themselves. So I wondered if that wouldn't have sent a little bit of a message. And again, hindsight 2020, you know, we can talk and speculate all we want, but that's just one of the things that kind of came to mind. I just wanted to mention real quick. No, no doubt, and that'll we can kind of use that as our segue to start to wrap up. And uh, you know, as as we're kind of looking in, Mitch, uh, we'll kind of finish with our early predictions. What are your thoughts on uh, the women's games? If you had to give a quick pr- prediction on those two weekend games, and then also looking ahead to men's basketball. For me, I've got the beeves. I think the beeves will split with the ducks. I think I, I do think it's going to be a home and home thing. And then, you know. Um, I think the men will split at home. I, I I don't think they'll sweep both UCLA and USC. They both have a ton of talent, and I, I just don't see it with the way they've been trending right now. Right. Um, you know, I got to agree with you. I'd like to say I could pick Oregon State to sweep the Civil War. I think that'd be huge for them. But again, I think I'm going to go with the home team each time. It it would be really interesting, though, to see if Oregon State was to win down in Matthew Knight Arena, mm-hmm. uh, how they would respond in Gill. Um, cause you know, Oregon would be fired up from losing that game at home, but you know, I'm going to take both home teams in a split. The other one, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Beavers will bounce back and beat UCLA. I think that they dropped the backside of that game to USC, you know, USC's kind of sneaky, sneaky good, I guess this they year. Are. And they've, you know, I, I can't off the top of my head. I can't remember who they upset earlier, but they um, beat Stanford. They gave Stanford their first conference loss this last weekend. That's exactly what it was. Knocked off Stanford. So, you know, USC's a, a competitor. They're tough each year. And 
And uh, I mean, it's just I love what Andy Enfield brings. I mean, I mean, yeah, I think you see I'm with you. UCLA, I think, is a more winnable game. And the Beavers have, you know, fared pretty well against the Bruins and uh, Gill in recent years. And even the Trojans, too. This is a road trip they usually do reasonably well in. And I'm sure Wayne will have his guys ready. But, uh, you know, my my thing is that it, it it is big. And I think I think they need to sweep, but I don't see it happening. Right. I agree with you 100 percent. And, you know, it's. Obviously, it's a, it's a frustrating mindset to have that you you know you want to be able to go in and expect your team to win every game, and you know when you look at a team like this that needed to go after the you know I believe it, I think it was from after the Arizona win if they had gone eight and five or nine and four probably would have been in a really good position for the tournament and now that just looks you know so unattainable and that's just it's disappointing because I think that the players hear that I think they feel it and they also feel the lack of support you know when the fans when you don't have like. You know, women's basketball against Stanford, obviously it's a top 10 matchup, but you, you have a, a near sellout. The Civil War has been sold out since, I want to say... Um, a while. <laughs> yeah, at, at least like December, maybe even back into November, I'm not sure. But either way, it's been sold out since last year. So I, I don't think the men's Civil War is sold out. So, I mean, you just don't feel the exact same support, and it's just disappointing because you never want to have a, put a mediocre team on the court, but it feels like that's what the Beavers bring out each week so again i see a split for both teams obviously women's i think they dropped that first but again i don't know i just have such a hard time picking the beavers to have two straight losses especially with the way this team responds after it so i could very well see them dropping or rather winning down in eugene and then dropping the game at home but it'll be interesting to see i'll, I'll still say a split either way for both teams no and and then regardless it's going to be an action-packed weekend of basketball again oregon state Women's basketball Friday in Eugene, Sunday in Gill, and then the Oregon State men's basketball team Thursday against UCLA and Saturday against USC. That'll go ahead and wrap up the Edge podcast. Big thanks to Jared Hallis and Mitch Manji for jumping on to talk uh, Oregon State recruiting, talk Oregon State men's basketball, women's basketball. And then, Manji, I, I promised you, I'd let, I'd let you give yourself a shout-out. How excited are you after that 49er win? Oh, that was huge. Absolutely loved it. Twenty seven. What was it? Twenty seven. Nothing at the end of the first half. I mean, either way. Shout out to Reem Mostert. That, that's just you know a huge day for that guy. That guy and obviously a journeyman's been to seven different teams. Um, and when he came to a came to San Francisco, he was a special teams player. That was what you know primarily. He was a gunner and he was a guy who just you know kind of put his head down, got the work done, and everybody always praised him for his special teams work. And then he got his you know got his chance at running back, made the most of it. So. Again, um, I think I saw on the damn board somebody compared him to giving Artavis Pierce that similar chance. I think that's a great comparison. You know, somebody who's just got natural speed, love of the game, could see AP getting some reps at kind of doing the same thing, you know. Start at the special teams, you know, maybe you're a third, fourth string running back, but either way, you're getting on the field, you know, you're making an impact. Saw Ryan Nall was on the punt team for the Bears, I think, you know. Yep. A lot of, yep. lot of, uh, a lot of great things from that game, and again, I'll, I'm really interested to see how Kyle Shanahan coaches a Super Bowl the second time around. Colin plays, obviously, don't want to see another one of those 28-3 meltdowns he had with the with the um, Go Pats, baby, Hopkins against your uh, against your Patriots, actually. But this is true. This 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 it, is true. It'll be fun. I think no, it'll he, be a ton he, of fun. Kyle, Kyle Shanahan's definitely learned. Uh, well, I think he's learned a thing or two, and I think that'll definitely. Uh, yeah. Give him a, I think that'll give him an edge. But Andy Reid's obviously been in the Super Bowl as well before with the Eagles. So it, it should make for a fantastic uh, weekend or fantastic Super Bowl. Right, right. I mean, I, yep, it'll be a ton of fun. And, again, interesting to see how much the Niners run that 
do that run pass balance. Obviously, I haven't thrown it much the last couple of weeks. But again, go ahead and uh, check out kbvr.com um, backslash listen to go ahead and tune in to Civil War. We'll be down in Eugene for the game Friday and then again back at Gill on Sunday at 1 p.m. So you can either do go into that or if you're in Corvallis, 88.7 on the radio dial. Just uh, always great to get more listeners and be able to you know spread Oregon State student radio to the Corvallis and also to the Oregon State fan base. Well, Mitch, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on. We appreciate your insight, your uh, boots on the ground, so to speak, being down there in Corvallis, providing the daily insights. And uh, let's do it again sometime soon. Awesome. Always a pleasure, Brandon. Big thanks to Mitch Manji for joining us on the Edge podcast. Also, a shout out to Jared Hallis for joining us on the podcast as well. That'll go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Edge podcast. Your Oregon State women's basketball team is back in action this week, facing Oregon Friday in Eugene, Sunday in Corvallis, and the Oregon State men's basketball team taking on UCLA on Thursday and USC on Saturday. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and keep it locked at beaversedge.com for all the latest on Oregon State Athletics.